0: Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Tonight, voters in Georgia, Texas, Alabama, and a few other states have to decide which candidates will be on the ballot come November. For Democrat voters, the question is largely on whether they prefer moderate candidates or candidates pushing for a more radical left agenda. For Republicans, we'll be looking at the support for Trump-endorsed candidates over the others. And today's Melina Wisecup brings us the details on some of the key races to watch tonight.
1: Georgia voters headed to the polls today had decisions to make at all levels of government. The swing state could determine the fate of the U.S. Senate. Current Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock is up for re-election this November. Republican candidate Herschel Walker is leading in the polls, and if he takes the primary as expected, will face Warnock. This is one race that has the potential to flip the Senate's majority. And at the state level, Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, is facing Republican Trump-backed challenger, former Senator David Perdue. And
2: Trump's influence on David Perdue and his election and his campaign has helped
0: a great deal.
1: But I'm, I will vote for Kim Former Senator Perdue was lagging behind Kemp in a previous Fox poll. But the result will show how much sway former President Trump has on voters in the purple state. The Republican victor will face Democrat Stacey Abrams in the final election. Our responsibility is to see the needs of every Georgian. The state also has tough choices for the House, Redistricting has left two Democrat representatives competing for one seat. Representatives Carolyn Bordeaux and Lucy Macbeth have similar voting records, but Bordeaux has a closer relationship with the party's moderate group on the Hill. So far, there's been a record voter turnout for the state, despite Democrats' accusations that the new voting law would create voter suppression. As for Texas, Democrat Congressman Cuellar is facing a runoff against progressive Jessica Cisneros. Cuellar has been tough on the Biden administration to get the border crisis under control, and the Democrat is pro-life. This contrasts with Cisneros, who has been endorsed by socialist Democrat Bernie Sanders and other progressives.
0: Last time, we were almost three percentage points away from defeating him, so we came back to finish the job.
1: And in Alabama, there's a race for a Senate seat. Congressman Mo Brooks, who recently lost Trump's endorsement, is challenged by Katie Britt, whom Trump has spoken positively of. Democrats right now hold a very narrow majority in Congress. If just one seat is flipped in the Senate, Republicans could take control of the chamber and over on the House side. There's a very slim margin between the two parties, so this November we should be watching battleground states like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia and Arizona. The outcome of these elections are crucial because they will determine if Democrats can continue to push President Biden's agenda through Congress or if Republicans will have the ability to put a ON THE PRESIDENT. REPORTING IN WASHINGTON, D.C., MELINA WEISKUP, NTD NEWS.
0: PENNSYLVANIA IS STILL TALLYING UP VOTES TO DETERMINE WHICH GOP CANDIDATE WILL BE ON THE BALLOT IN NOVEMBER. trump backed DR. OZ HAS A SLIGHT EDGE OVER DAVID MCCORMICK. WE'LL LIKELY SEE A RECOUNT AND NOW A COURT CASE. MCCORMICK FILED A LAWSUIT TO URGE THE STATE TO COUNT IN MAIL-IN BALLOTS THAT WERE NOT MARKED WITH A DATE. AND THIS SUIT IS ALREADY FACING PUSHBACK FROM THE REPUBLICAN NATIONAL Committee. The committee states that they absolutely object to the counting of undated mail-in ballots. With the vote still not tallied in Pennsylvania and a key primary in Georgia being tallied tonight, here with us to discuss is former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli, who is now the chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative, and we're happy to have him on. Ken Cuccinelli, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report.
3: My pleasure.
0: Ken, we're a week since the Pennsylvania primaries and still don't have a decision on the winner of the Republican uh, primary between Dr. Oz and David McCormick. Uh, Depending on who I listen to, this is normal and all part of the process. And others say there's no reason why we can't have a clear answer on election night. What's your take?
3: Well, I think the real answer is right in between. This is not normal. Let's not kid ourselves to be sitting and waiting for this. Um, and one of the reforms of the Election Transparency Initiative that we strongly champion is closing out the acceptance of mail-in ballots. You, you set a time. And, of course, mail-in ballots have been very controversial in Pennsylvania. And that continues with this race with the federal judge ruling that they have to count undated ballots ballots. So uh, this is something we confronted in my home state of Virginia, um, and uh, the correct side won. And now we're seeing it play out in Pennsylvania. Now, having said all that, if you go all the way back to Bush v. Gore in 2000, Florida was humiliated. Their system looked really embarrassing. And what do they do? They spent years year after year, passing legislation to reform their system, three, four, five years and firing some people who needed to be fired. And you fast forward to 2020, largest swing state, third largest state in the country, and they were done counting on election night. It can be done. It was done without complaints from either side in a very difficult year, 2020 in terms of election processes. So this can be done, but it hasn't been done in Pennsylvania. And the primary block in Pennsylvania is Governor Wolf. He was presented with comprehensive election reform, and he vetoed it, gave a press conference, didn't even know what was in the bill, really didn't even know. And uh, that was sad. It was pathetic. And hopefully we will see that be a center point of the governor's race, not just in Pennsylvania, but the same thing happened in Michigan and Wisconsin as well. So we'll see if this year's elections help fix that problem.
0: Ken, does dragging out the results of an election uh, just beyond election night, just from the perspective of common sense, make the election more susceptible to fraud?
3: Uh, It does. And it also, you know, every day that goes by, everything may be working what I'll call normally with respect to the rules of Pennsylvania. But for everybody watching who don't know those rules and are never going to know them, every day that goes by with just more question marks undermines their confidence in the outcome of the race. And the Election Transparency Initiative, we measure success by can the losing side feel confident in the outcome? And when you see a system like this, look, whether it's Oz or McCormick, whoever comes out on the bottom of this is not going to walk away feeling like, gee, everything ran clean and smooth and we were treated fairly. And that is not good for our democratic republic. It's just not. It's uh, this, These elections are our cornerstone of our whole so- society, how we govern ourselves. And to have this lack of confidence and these for Pennsylvania, 1930s-era voting laws is really um, unacceptable.
0: Ken, we have another big primary in the state of Georgia uh, today. Georgia's been at the center of the discussion, having passed their own election reforms. Are you satisfied with what Georgia has done? Uh, What do you like about it? And is there anything that's been left out that you would like to see uh, on the table?
3: So great question. Remember what I said about Florida after Bush v. Gore. They went for years reforming their elections. And um, Georgia has got a start in that direction. And I am impressed with the start they've made. But they have years more work to do to clean up their systems. They've tightened up Zuckerbucks, for instance, but they haven't banned them. They should be banned entirely. There's no reason private money should flow basically to the referee, if you think of it like sports, of an election. Um, That can only be gamed, and it also undermines confidence in the outcome. Just to use one example, Um, shortening the the early voting period is important because, for the reasons you cite, not because it's inherently bad to vote early, although if you make it early enough, it becomes a problem. Um, but that security and oversight and transparency that are the foundational elements of confidence in the outcome of the election um, are very difficult to maintain and to achieve the more early days you have. so. They didn't really shorten that in Georgia. It was one of the more sensitive points. But we should point out, as long as we're talking about things they didn't do, look at what the other side said about the reforms they have done. Oh, it's voter suppression, et cetera. And we've seen a a huge turnout on both sides of the aisle, bigger than 2018 in Georgia. So the radical left, including Stacey Abrams, who was attacking this whole effort, as voter suppression has been proved convincingly wrong.
0: Ken Cuccinelli, thank you. Good to be with you. After President Biden told a reporter in Tokyo on Monday that the U.S. would defend Taiwan militarily, the topic came up again today. Today in a meeting with the Quad, President Biden was asked if U.S. strategic ambiguity on Taiwan is dead.
2: Mr. President, is the policy of strategic ambiguity towards Taiwan dead? No. Could you explain? No.
1: Mr. President, do, would you send troops to um, Taiwan if China did?
2: Our policy has not changed at all. I stated that and I made my statement
0: yesterday. He also did not answer a question about whether he would put troops on the ground to defend Taiwan. Biden's comments appear to contradict each other. Some critics have even said he misspoke or made a gaffe. But one expert argued it wasn't a slip of the tongue.
2: President Biden, when he was a senator, voted for the Taiwan Relations Act. He's visited Taiwan before. He's not new to foreign policy. So in my view, given where it was said in Japan, next to the Japanese prime minister, the context coming after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, I believe that this was not a gap.
0: Under the Taiwan Relations Act, Washington is required to provide self-ruled Taiwan with the means to defend itself. But it has followed the policy of strategic ambiguity toward the island. Other experts we spoke with told us that Biden's remarks did not mean a shift in U.S. policy. And here to assess our next guest is Steve Yates. He's the chair of the China Policy Initiative at the America First Policy Institute, and we're happy to have him with us. Steve Yates, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. My pleasure, thank you. Steve, with regard to President Biden's first trip to Asia, when asked if he would uh, get involved militarily if China were to invade Taiwan, he replied with an unequivocal yes. Uh, Was this another faux pas or did he mean it? And maybe most importantly, was his comment intentional?
2: Well, I think he accidentally committed common sense. Uh, The position that he said out loud is one that he has uh, declared three times just in the last nine months. It's also the position that presidents before him have said most most famously in 2001 uh, George W. Bush in April of that year said we would do whatever it takes to defend Taiwan and frankly in both instances staff came in after the fact to kind of clean up those remarks uh, and apparently when President Biden was questioned again uh, a day later he has said oh no I didn't say I didn't make a change in policy uh, so I think there's uh, clear risk of mixed messages coming out of it. but What President Biden said in that brief response, I think, was common sense and truth. And what the cleanup has been is mixed messaging and back to ambiguity, which I don't think is helpful.
0: That was going to be my next question for you, Steve, is we often hear this term, uh, the policy of strategic amb- ambiguity. Uh, does this approach sort of allow China to incrementally encroach and eventually give them the upper hand if they don't already have it?
2: I believe that's exactly what it does. And I don't think we have to just postulate whether that's the case with China towards Taiwan. I think strategic ambiguity failed with regard to NATO deterrence of Russia invading Ukraine. It's just this, this elite idea that somehow you can create this uncertainty and it will make determined adversaries shake in their boots and perhaps not go ahead and take what they see available to them is a very risky proposition. I just think in this day and age, we need more clarity. And Frankly, if we're going to support our allies in East Asia right now, our most important East Asian ally, Japan, is speaking more clearly, not more ambiguously about Uh, an invasion or attack on Taiwan being averse to Japan's national interests. Uh, And so perhaps the United States should follow its allies lead in this regard.
0: The pandemic has obviously complicated many things on multiple levels, one of which is our relationship with China. Where do you see relations with China going from here?
2: Well, I think there's several different forces at once that make U.S.-China relations problematic at best. Uh, One I think there's a long term trend where a broad bipartisan base of Americans are skeptical that the trade deals that have been made in the past and the economic relationship we've had with China over recent decades. Uh, has been good for the United States. They particularly see it as bad for American workers uh, and now bad for American consumers with supply chain problems. Uh, Then there's the COVID experience where it's unmeasurable how much of America feels that the Chinese government is responsible for what we have uh, lived through unpleasantly for more than two years. But clearly there are some and that has an effect. But then There's Xi Jinping being a very different kind of leader, having trampled upon the freedoms of Hong Kong and rolling a somewhat Mao Zedong 2.0 cultural revolution-like movement Uh, that's a muscular authoritarianism. All these are bad trends from inside China, internationally, and then the legacy of COVID. And so I see it being a very uncertain and tense time for the United States, even with the best of leadership. And I unfortunately don't think we have that right now.
0: Steve, just really quickly, um, there are reports uh, coming out that uh, Biden may be signaling that he's going to remove the Trump era tariffs on China. Is this the right move?
2: I think that would be an enormous mistake. I mean, number one, I don't believe in just as a matter of negotiation of business, you give anything up unless you have some measurable, uh, deliverable coming your way, preferably in advance. Uh, But really, this just sends the wrong signal to China, but it also does it at the expense of American producers and workers. Uh, And So all the way around, I think it's, it's the wrong kind of thing to consider right now. But very clearly, it's something that's come up in the media interactions with the president and within the White House, they're thinking about this.
0: Steve Yates, appreciate your insights. My pleasure. Thank you.